Hello, my name is Father Jeremiah, and welcome to our retreat, Jesus, Our Life. Our first talk today is entitled, Jesus, the Lord. Let us pray. Name the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come to you this day, acknowledging that you are Lord. And we pray, Lord, that this day you would be more and more the Lord of our life, that you would open our hearts and our minds this day to who you really are and who you desire to be in our lives. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? What does it mean to really believe that Jesus is Lord? The answer is quite simple. It means that Jesus is everything. In life, whenever we see or whenever we encounter beauty or love, truth and goodness, whether that's through relationships, whether it's through the, the birth of a child, a beautiful sunset, or just simply through human, human goodness. What we are experiencing in those moments is a fraction or a part of the whole. We are experiencing a part of beauty or a part of love. Jesus is the whole. Jesus is not 
a symbol. He's not merely a part of beauty. Jesus is not a part of truth or a part of love. He is those things. He is beauty. He is truth. He is love. In other words, Jesus is everything. St. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he says that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, he says, think about these things. And it's interesting, why does he say to think about these things? And the answer, of course, is because Jesus is there. Jesus is being manifested in whatever is true, in whatever is honorable, in whatever is lovely. His presence permeates these realities quietly and gently, yet strong and alive. When I was a child, uh, the house that I grew up in, right behind our house was uh, just a series of, of little hills, but the sunset was always so spectacular from, our, from the view of our house because you could see the sun and it almost looked like it was resting uh, its arms on the horizon as it was setting and it was it was just a very beautiful sight and I remember as a, as a young boy even watching these these sunsets from behind my house and realizing or feeling like I was experiencing something more than just a sunset that yes the physical reality of the Sun setting on the hills it was a beautiful experience but I was very much aware that there was a presence behind it that there was something more going on here that there was a reality that was being opened up and of course now many years later I know that in that very experience of the beauty of that sunset, that it was Jesus. It was Jesus who was whispering to me through that beauty, trying to get my attention, trying to lift my heart and my mind, not just to a sunset, but to himself. And this, friends, is what God is trying to do through every moment, through every experience of our life, whether it is through beauty or whether it is through love or whether it is through just human goodness. It's Jesus who's quietly there whispering to us. 
there's an, imp an important uh, theological understanding of all of this as well. You know, in the, uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the name for God uh, was Yahweh, which a good Jew couldn't pronounce. It's the name that was given to God, or given to Moses by God. And so it's translated as Kyrios, which is translated into Lord. And from that moment on, the word Lord becomes the more usual name or the more common name to indicate the divinity of, of Israel's God. And so the New Testament picks up on this and uses this title, the name Lord, for both the Father, but also now for Jesus. Hence, this is where and this is how we recognize Jesus now as, as Lord. And what does all of this uh, imply? It implies to us simply that there's, there's something more. Or rather, there's someone more in my life besides me. Someone that is greater than my plans, greater than my dreams, greater than my desires, greater than my agenda. Which is why when we say that Jesus is Lord, and when we try to live our lives in light of this, there needs to be this complete role reversal in our life. There needs to be this 180 degree turn from me at the center of my life to Jesus with his plans, with his dreams, with his agenda for my life. And you know, you could be hearing this and you, and you could say, well, of course, you know, what else could be the center? I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So what else or who else could be the center of my life? And you know, the honest answer to that question is you. You and I are most likely the center of our lives. We can't even conceive of a life without us at the center, or at least us striving to be at the center. And th this shouldn't discourage us at all, because I think this is just basic human nature at work here. You know, in the Gospels, there's this funny episode when the apostles come to Jesus and they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you, right? Isn't that such a, such a funny statement? It's like, Jesus, okay, we're starting to believe that you're Lord, you're God, but we want you to do for us whatever we want. So it's almost in some ways, it's like, forget being God and listen to me. 
And Jesus is sort of playing along, and he, and he says, well, what is it that you want me to do for you? And then they say, grant that we could sit one at your right and one at your left hand in glory. This request has nothing to do with Jesus. And it has everything to do about them. It is pure um, self-obsession. It's all about them in that question. You know, in some ways it's an analogy. It's like, it's like they're posing for a picture with Jesus for the, for the sole purpose of posting it on their social media page to say, look, look who I was with today. It's all about them and it has nothing to do with Jesus, right? But if we, if we contrast that with St. Paul, who certainly had to struggle with this as well throughout his own life, what does St. Paul say? He says, for to me, to live is Christ. And in Galatians, he'll say, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Hence, discipleship, or at least the, the implications of Jesus as Lord for us, it implies subtraction. It implies decreasing. You know, when, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he sees him and he says, he must increase and I must decrease. In sort of simple, plain language, this means for us, it means, it means getting out of the way. It means removing yourself from the center. You know, Meister Eckhart, in, in one of his sermons, he says, God asks only that you get out of his way and that you let God be God in you. God asks that you only get out of his way. And this is, in some ways, the challenge of discipleship. And this is ultimately what, what Jesus is asking of us that we get out of his way, that we let him love us, that we let him be Lord in our life. The only obstacle in our relationship with God is me, and it's you. You know, so often we think it's our life situation that is the obstacle, right? It's our work or our spouse or our health or the church we go to. We think that if those things were different, then our relationship with God will be better. And obviously, certainly those things can affect us and they, they can be annoyances. But ultimately, they're not an obstacle. 
An obstacle occurs the moment when we believe that this thing or whatever it is, this situation or circumstance, can actually separate us from the love of God. Right? St. Paul says in Romans, he says, nothing, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God. And he has this huge, beautiful list in Romans 8, where he says, persecutions, sickness, tribulation, none of that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, except, of course, ourselves. So, to say and to believe that Jesus is Lord, It means that Jesus is everything. And that we simply have to get out of his way. Now, if you haven't noticed, this is very difficult. And this is a lifelong uh, work. I struggle with it every single day. You know, I've been a, I've been a priest for 10 years. I just celebrated my 10 year anniversary of, of ordination. <clears throat> and in that time, I have heard thousands of confessions. I have listened to and spoken to hundreds of people about their life. And in my experience, I have seen very little evil. Now, obviously, I believe and I know that evil exists. I've seen evil. <clears throat> but in most people's lives, I don't see or I don't hear a lot of evil. But what I do see and what I do hear is a lot of human pain, a lot of uh, brokenness, a lot of crying out. Unfortunately, oftentimes in all the wrong ways, but crying out and seeking restoration And the problem with this attempt here at restoration is that it oftentimes has us at the center, which is where sin gets involved. Because sin is essentially selfishness. There's a um, spiritual writer by the name of Father Luis Boyer and he says something so interesting. He says, sin causes this obsessive concentration on self. Sin causes this obsessive concentration on self. If you think about it, the most sinful people, or maybe periods in our own lives where the most sin was involved, 
It is often when we are most selfish, when we are most self-centered, turned in towards ourselves. And I believe, and I've, I've learned as well in my years as a priest, that there is, there is almost a subtle um, psychology behind our selfishness. And it's simply because we don't trust anyone. We don't trust God. We don't trust people. We don't trust the church. We don't trust our family. We don't trust our friends. Because so many people have hurt us in life. So many people have failed us and disappointed us. Whether that's parents, again, whether it's teachers, priests, politicians, relatives. And how do we respond to all of this? Well, naturally, we turn in and we try to protect ourselves. We try to build a wall around us that doesn't allow anybody, including God, to get too close. And that is a completely natural and even on some levels an appropriate response. However, just because it's normal does not mean that it's good or that it's effective. Of course, we do have to protect ourselves to some extent. But this turning in in ourselves, this trying to always protect ourselves, protect our lives, is actually killing us. And it's creating nothing but human misery. I mention this because of the gospel that I have read with St. Thomas, who's oftentimes referred to, unfortunately, as, as Doubting Thomas, right? Why is Thomas doubting? You know, I don't know if we, if we know this for sure, but in my own speculation and my own theory is that Thomas is doubting the resurrection. He's doubting that Jesus is alive because he has been hurt. Because Thomas has been disappointed. Maybe and probably by other religious leaders. I can almost imagine Thomas, you know, he's, he encounters Jesus and he's, he's walking with Jesus and he's seeing Jesus do all of these amazing things, these miracles and these healings and he's touching people's lives. But then all of a sudden, Good Friday occurs. 
And this one who Thomas was starting to trust in, starting to believe, was the actual Messiah. He sees Jesus dead on Good Friday. And interiorly, I can imagine his heart just being utterly crushed, utterly disappointed, thinking, I guess he's not who I thought he was. Or I guess he's not who I hoped he was. And I can see Thomas's heart becoming cold or this, this wall going up again over his heart. You know, in that gospel passage, it says that the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And how does Thomas respond? He says, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. There is a reason here for Thomas's doubt. The intensity of that response is not natural. And only God knows that reason, right? And so how does Jesus respond to this? Is Jesus put off by Thomas's doubt? Is Jesus angry by his doubt? It doesn't seem so, because Jesus goes to Thomas. Jesus goes to Thomas, and he knows his doubt, and he says, Thomas, put your finger in my side. See my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side and believe. Jesus goes to this place of hurt in Thomas and he takes him to his own place of hurt, to his own wounds. Jesus is saying to Thomas, Thomas, I have wounds too. I have hurt as well. But there is resurrected life in my wounds, in my pain, and in my hurt. I am the Lord. This is who I am. I bring life out of death. And how does Thomas respond? I so beautifully, he says, my Lord and my God. Because now he realizes, now he finally sees that Jesus, the one who he believed in at first, really is the Lord. That he really is everything. That it's 100% safe to believe, to have confidence, to have hope, to have trust in him. And what is the one thing that Thomas learns here? He learns certainly a lot, but what is one, one thing that Thomas learns here? He learns 
that there are no limitations in Jesus. There are no limitations in Jesus because he is Lord. And because he is Lord, there are no limitations in him. Not even death can hold him down. Yes, of course, Jesus is risen from the dead. Why? Because death has no power over God. Death has no power over God. Ultimately, sickness, pain, and suffering, yes, we feel them in this life, and they hurt. But Jesus is victorious over them all. And he's teaching Thomas, as he's teaching us, that he, Jesus, the Lord, is everything. He's saying to Thomas and to I and to you, he's saying, I am the hope that doesn't disappoint. Jesus says, I am the one that can take you through your pain and through your suffering to resurrection. I am the one who is with you every moment of your life. I, and I alone am the Lord. And I am not a distant God. I am with you every moment. What Jesus is teaching Thomas he is teaching us as well that he is the Lord and he's meant to be everything in our lives. That when we decrease and put our faith and our trust in him and allow him to increase, we already in this life begin to experience a little bit of a taste of what resurrection really means. God bless you.